Paul Osborne here with a brief emergency podcast. Sound, the emergency podcast klaxon. Ah, it appears to be broken through a ridiculous amount of overuse. So there we are then. It's all over. Sort of. Theresa May, the strong and stable leader who led her party off the edge of a cliff, the stubborn negotiator who refused to compromise until it was far too late, has finally run out of road. Being Prime Minister has apparently been the honour of her life, a pity in that case that she turned out to be so bloody awful at it. Because while you can, on a human level, obviously sympathise with someone who's been forced to very emotionally admit their failure in front of the whole world, that doesn't lessen the extent, or indeed the implications, of that failure. Theresa May has been a dreadful, dreadful Prime Minister, under whose watch the country has slid further and further into its biggest peacetime crisis in living memory. And when she eventually leaves office, she will leave the country that she says she loves in an extraordinary mess, and at the mercy of a replacement who may well be somebody that she appears to think entirely incapable of leadership. Now, we'll get into this in more detail once the dust settles, but let's start this brief Friday afternoon update by looking at how Theresa May ended up confirming her resignation today. The trigger, it seems, was that all-new Brexit plan. It was the worst of all worlds. It offered some sort of customs union and the possibility of a second referendum, enough to push many of her own MPs over the edge, but not actually enough to win round the Labour MPs whose support she would need to get her Brexit deal through. With that plan seemingly due before the Commons at the start of June, those endlessly plotting Conservative MPs finally decided that they couldn't wait any longer. Well, at this stage, we can bring in Robert Meakin, and this being a bank holiday weekend, he joins us not from his usual location, but, and I'm rather enjoying this, from a motorway service station somewhere on the M1. Um, Robert, thank you for uh, pulling over uh, to join us. Now, she had promised to resign at some stage about as many times as she had promised that we would leave the European Union at the end of March. What this has proved again is that the moment you concede your time as leader is coming to an end, then your authority is gone and your time is actually already up. Look, as soon as she announced she intended to leave a few weeks ago, that deadline was always going to shorten. That's the, that's the law of political physics, if you want. You know, that as soon as a, a political leader says, that's it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plan my timetable for my departure, everyone around us says... When do you mean? Let's make it quicker. Let's make it quicker. It's always sooner. She had no choice. She was always going to be spat out by the system sooner than she wished. So it's always naive for anyone to think they're going to go at a time of their own choosing. Parliamentary arithmetic made it impossible for her to continue. It's quite miraculous how she's managed to continue as long as, as she did. Now, you can criticise the, the self-absorbed, self-serving antics of politicians on all sides who have often been in this, frankly, for party political tribal reasons rather than thinking of the bigger picture of Brexit. I think that is a fair criticism. But you also have to look at Theresa May and when you're brutally honest, you look back to that disastrous decision to call a general election in 2017 when she arrogantly believed she was going to destroy 
Jeremy Corbyn. She did not. She failed. She was dismal as a political campaigner. That's when she sowed the seeds of her destruction, which we've just seen now finally played out. When she staggered back to the House of Commons with not even a real workable majority, it was game over for her. It was only a matter of time. As I say, it's surprising she was able to, to survive as long as she did. You could almost admire her ability to cling on this long were it not for the fact that she hasn't really achieved anything with the time that she's managed to grab. She has made the situation much worse. You've got people paying tribute to her today who were the most likely to stick the knife in day after day, month after month. She has managed to alienate every conceivable wing of her own party. She never bothered to reach out to others until it was far too late. Every time she has had a big decision to make on Brexit, she's got it wrong. Just like the election campaign that she fought two years ago. She consistently has misread the mood of every audience in front of her, whether it's her own MPs, all MPs, the public, the European Union. She has always got it wrong. And she's been incapable of changing tack. So rigid, unbending, just not the right person for this job. I appreciate that this probably sounds really harsh, on the day that she basically burst into tears outside Downing Street, and I am sorry that she is upset, but she has had the most important job in the country, and she has screwed it up, and she has screwed it up really badly. It's easy to forget now, but when Theresa May got the job in 2016, she came with you know, a significant amount of optimism attached. Uh, she was considered a, a no-nonsense, yes, rather boring, straight-bat sort of a politician, but someone who's always ruthlessly and quietly on top of her brief, just the sort of boring, safe pair of hands we needed at this time of political turbulence, this time of political crisis and it was seen as you know, in contrast maybe to a sort of more flamboyant David Cameron figure before a contrast to a, a Boris Johnson or a Nigel Farage we've been holding sway this was this was the calm strong lady the new iron lady as some people optimistically build her who is going to get us through these these troubled waters well that was her big selling point but we've never really had time to reflect on the fact that it was her dogmatism it was her lack of charisma that rendered her unsuited to the job and she kind of got the leadership by default is the other thing you forget, because all the other leadership candidates back in 2016 managed to self-destruct. And so we sort of almost accidentally end up with Theresa May in charge. And then only afterwards do we realise that, you know, she's not actually that good at it. When she limped back to the House of Commons with no working majority, some of those parts of her personality that have been considered her political strengths, the fact she was this straight-bat, boring politician, suddenly they're under the spotlight as weaknesses. Suddenly she looked unimaginative. She looked narrow as a politician. She looked like she had this small, closed-off group of advisers who could only see one way forward. They didn't have any sort of, any fresh idea, any sort of fresh outlook. And then her political enemies on all sides, whether it be the Tory party, whether it be the Labour party, they took advantage of this, of this vulnerable politician. They knew that here was this wounded political animal. They all tried to take a piece of her for their own political gain. She seemed incapable of ever coming up with a 
any new solution for this greatest political crisis since World War II. Not, not an easy thing to come up with any new solutions, by the way. But the only time when she really genuinely looked like she had a fresh idea was right at the end when she was desperate. This is one of the real tragedies of all this, that right at the very end, she suddenly offers compromise. She suddenly offers talks. She suddenly realises that she can't railroad her own vision of Brexit through. She has to try and bring other people on board. The speech that she made at the start of this week is the speech that she should have made in the days after the 2017 election, admitting the need for you know cross-party cooperation and for a bit of give and take. But she didn't do that. She just ploughed on. She ignored all the evidence. She ignored all the advice. She ignored all the setbacks. She just kept going. And while you can praise that kind of determination in some circumstances, in this circumstance, it's not a strength. It's a massive, massive weakness. Admittedly, seeking compromise with a Labour Party led by Jeremy Corbyn is not going to be easy because his chief commitment is destroying the Tory party. And there is also the fact that he is not so secretly far more pro-Brexit than she is. But having spent two and a half years throwing bones to the hard right in the Tory party, endlessly making undeliverable promises about a sort of hard-slash-hard-ish Brexit, when you then finally accept reality and offer compromise, you face shouts of betrayal. And she was never strong enough to fend that off, partly because she was leading a minority government, but in large part because her leadership was so poor. So now we need to find a new Tory leader and Prime Minister, who will of course have to take over Brexit negotiations with only a few months of this latest and possibly last extension to go. Considering we really don't have that long left until the end of October, the leadership election is not a short process. Theresa May resigns formally as Tory leader on the 7th of June, but remains Prime Minister until a replacement is there. Now, it will probably take until the end of June for Tory MPs to whittle down the seemingly endless run of leadership candidates to a final two. They are then put to a ballot of Conservative Party members. The likelihood, therefore, is we won't actually have a new Prime Minister in place until the end of July. And so suddenly, a harsh light is shed on the 100,000 or so Tory party members. They are, let's remember, the only people who get to decide who the next Prime Minister will be. Well, Professor Tim Bale from Queen Mary University of London has been researching these grassroots Tories for years, and a while ago told me what the average Tory party member looks like. Almost definitely white. I mean, we're talking, you know, nearly a hundred percent white. Clearly, not completely a hundred percent, but the vast, vast majority of Conservative Party members are white. We would be talking about someone in their late middle age. We're talking there, you know, in their kind of late fifties, early sixties. We would be talking about uh, a man rather than a woman, because about seventy percent of Conservative members are men. We would be also talking about 
about people with um, fairly convinced and some people would say right wing views on a whole range of social issues and about people who are fairly convinced that the state shouldn't do too much and that we're still spending more than we earn as a country. It sounds a bit like the membership is some way to the right, both of the Tory MPs and the, the population at large. I think when you look at their attitudes to the economy, that is where you do see quite a, a lot of difference. I mean, we find, for example, that only 20% of Conservatives think that ordinary working people don't get a fair share of the nation's wealth. Now, actually, a large proportion of the public think that that's the case. A lot of people in um, the public think that big business takes advantage of ordinary people, but only a third of Conservative uh, Party members think that. So in some ways, they're, they're possibly more out of line on on the economy and, and how much the state should be spending than they are on, on some social issues. Now, what they think, how they see the world really does matter if there's a Tory leadership election and if the party members have to make that final decision. Now, presumably, they would favour a candidate who would lean to the right like they do. That's right. I mean, they will be looking for someone who is a hard Brexiteer. They will be looking for someone who has pretty conservative, um, small C views on on social issues. And they will be looking for someone who really doesn't want to see, for example, a, a kind of liberal immigration regime. They will be looking for someone who wants to continue to bear down on public spending, doesn't want to tax and spend too much. So your advice to anyone who fancies taking over from Theresa May will be to make sure you're speaking the language of those activists want to hear. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the obvious thing to do. And then um, probably tack into the centre if they can, if they want to, in order to to win votes at a a general election. I mean, it's undoubtedly the case that voters as a whole and even, for example, Conservative voters are rather more moderate than Conservative Party members. But of course, you know, it's a staged process. You have to kind of win your base first and and then uh, build outwards from that. But certainly, I mean, I I think anyone uh, who hopes to get the votes of the membership in the next contest is going to have to present themselves as a fairly convinced Brexiteer. Professor Tim Bale there from Queen Mary University of London. So we already know that Boris Johnson, Esther McVeigh and Rory Stewart are running. They didn't even wait for Theresa May to announce her resignation before they confirmed it. And now everyone else is rushing to catch up. Jeremy Hunt only waited a couple of hours after Theresa May's announcement to confirm he was putting himself forward. Right now, Bojo is the runaway favourite. Bear in mind, runaway favourites rarely, if ever, win the Tory leadership. Just ask Michael Heseltine or Kenneth Clark or Michael Portillo, or indeed the 2016 version of Boris Johnson. This time, though, it could be different. Boris has been keeping relatively quiet these last few days, albeit that's after months of lobbing grenades into Downing Street via the Daily Telegraph. He knows full well that the assassin never takes over. He also needs to rebuild that old image his supporters always pointed to, that he was the Tory who reaches voters that other Tories leave cold. That, of course was before Brexit. Uh, Robert, whoever wins, they're going to face the exact same parliamentary arithmetic that Theresa May did. There is no majority, obviously, for her deal, which you have to assume is now pretty much dead. There is no majority for leaving without a deal. There is no majority for a second referendum. And and yes, Theresa May was a dreadful prime minister, but there's not necessarily any reason to think that on Brexit, the next prime minister will do any better. Can the new 
Conservative leader? Can he or she somehow pull a rabbit out the hat? Can they somehow uh, get the uh, the momentum behind them? Can they f- get the numbers together? Can they somehow get the DUP back on side? Is there a way of, of getting a Theresa May-like sort of deal still over the line, uh, but with a fresh face? Will that be enough impetus to do it? Hard to imagine that's really going to be the case. I mean, I, I get the feeling if there's a new Conservative leader who looks like a real battle-hardened Brexiteer, that surely is going to inflame division all the more in the House of Commons. And it just does lead you to the conclusion that in the not-too-distant future, we're going to have to be talking about a second referendum or quite likely a general election. A second referendum that would obviously be every bit as divisive as the first one, if not worse, and a general election that could very easily land us in the exact same situation that we're in now. We still find ourselves with a parliament that is incapable of delivering Brexit, incapable of agreeing a way forward, marching at increasing speed towards either leaving without a deal, which, as we said last time, would probably be disastrous for the economy, or revoking Article 50, which, as we said last time, would probably be disastrous for people's faith in democracy. The political makeup is both unwilling, unable, and, and also, of course, simply refusing to deliver in some form the outcome of that vote. Whether you are a Brexiteer, whether you're a Remainer, that is the brutal reality of this, that this was a remarkably significant moment in our political history. People voted with huge numbers and Parliament has simply not delivered that vote. And Theresa May's departure doesn't really take us any closer to resolving any of that. By this stage, of course, you've probably forgotten that we had the European elections less than 24 hours ago. They're kind of academic now, as we thought the inevitable Tory drubbing would be the final blow for Theresa May's leadership. Still, we will get those results on Sunday night. And here's a graceless plug. I'll be on BBC Radio London from 10 o'clock on Sunday, probably until the small hours, trying to make sense of it all. But there, I think we will draw our emergency podcast to an end. We will return after the weekend once we've caught our breath. Thank you to Robert for pausing his bank holiday journey. Thanks to you for listening too. Don't forget to keep in touch on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Party Games Pod and PartyGamesPodcast.com. You can sign up for the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google or indeed Spotify. If, by the way, you have time to write us a friendly review, they're always welcome as well. Till next time, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>